0: Well, praise the Lord this morning, and I wanted to do a little series or start a little series looking at the lives of two people from the Word of God who are pretty unique, pretty powerful, when you, you, know, you can learn a lot from their lives and you see how God used them in a mighty way, and, and those are the, the prophets, Elijah and Elisha, because we read about them and you consider what they did and how God used them to do such mighty things and how his power flowed through them. But, you know, there's some powerful lessons when we look at their lives of what God wants to do in us. He wants to do in his church. He wants to do in his people and to see how he wants to work. And, you know, these prophets are especially relevant to us because they speak to us of the last days, right? These these prophets are dealing with the last days and God is going to use them. In fact, we know, right, Moses and Elijah are going to be those who come back, right? So Elijah literally is going to come back and be used be used by God in the last days. They're going to come back and minister in Jerusalem. And, you know, when, when Moses and Elijah are coming back to minister in Jerusalem, um, us believers are going to be going through some difficult things, right? Some challenges in the earth, some tribulation, and... I wonder if if we're going to see Moses and Elijah come and we're going to be encouraged because they're out there preaching against the the Antichrist and his kingdom and they're not afraid and they're fighting the battles of the Lord and we'll be encouraged and we'll say, yeah, go Moses and Elijah. Don't give up. They're going to encourage us because we're going to see how God speaks through them and how the enemy is not able to silence them. You know, that's really what the enemy hopes to do in us. He wants to silence us. His greatest desire is to silence our good testimony, to turn our joy into sadness and mourning and heaviness. Like with Job, what did Satan say? If you just let me touch him, let me touch his possessions, let me touch his family and his body, he'll curse you to your face. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to touch us and you know, bring us through such difficult times that we'll, we'll turn against God. But, of course, he couldn't do that with Job, could he? Job's response was different than he expected. Instead of cursing God, you know, he put on sackcloth and ashes, right? He, he wasn't saying he was having a good time, but then he said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. His, could, his good testimony could not be silenced. He couldn't be quieted in that sense. Even when everything fell apart in his life, he couldn't be silenced. Now, I was watching the testimony of a, of a pastor from Romania. His name was Richard Wormbrandt. Maybe some of you have read his book, Tortured for Christ. And I mean, he went through some heavy stuff. But I think God, you know, you, in one sense you read that, it's like, Lord, why in the world would you let someone go through that? but it's like God gives people the grace to go through some things like that as a testimony for believers, right? And a testimony of, you know, what we're going through is not that bad compared to (laughs) what some have gone through, but it's also a picture of the last days and of what some people are going to have to endure, of what we, the saints, if we qualify to endure that that log of what we're going to have to go through. And the enemy is going to try and silence us, but, you know, Richard Wormbrandt, he was in prison by the communists for preaching, and, and so they put him in prison, and boy, they just beat him up. It's like they had delight in just beating him every day and torturing him continually. Their goal was to break his faith. You know, if we can break his faith, then we've won. That was kind of their game with him, to get him to deny, deny Christ, stop praying, but they could never do that. There's one uh, one scene where uh, the the different pastors that were put in prison, they would take term preaching one to another. Of course, the guards would see him and get mad. And they'd take the one preaching and they'd beat him up and then take him back. And then he'd be all bruised and battered. And he'd sit down and say, okay, where did I leave off? And he said that it almost was like a mutual agreement with the guards. The guards would beat them and then they would preach. And that, that was this life for them. But they found grace to endure. They wouldn't be silenced. You know, uh, another story he shared is that he was on his knees one day in his cell and he was praying. Of course, the guards would get mad and they'd beat him when he did that. And one day he was just on on his knees praying and a guard came in and said, what are you doing? You're praying again. What could you possibly have to pray for? We've taken everything from you. We beat you every time you see God. Why would you possibly want to pray? So he said, well, I'm praying for you guard was pretty shocked. After all the beatings he'd given him and the cursings and everything, that shocked the guard. And the guard actually, he backed out of his cell and walked away. He was so shocked. But you know, it, it's a wonderful story. I'd encourage you, you know, if you can hold back the tears of reading his testimony. I think he came out with a movie so you can watch it too. It's It's pretty powerful. But just of he would not be silenced. Now, I don't want to look at that and say, that's what God is calling us to do, right? But that God is calling us to walk and to face battles and to fight our enemies, but he's there with us. There'll be times of great difficulty, right? Both as saints in the last days, but now we face difficulties and so forth. We go through seasons of weakness, of struggles, But thank God. As Paul said in Romans 5 and verse 20, where sin abounds, and you can fill in the blank there, where weakness abounds, where, you know, heaviness abounds, sorrow, well, let's finish that sentence. Grace does much more abound. His divine ability does much more abound. Have you ever been in a season where it's like, all I'm feeling the abundance of is my Sin, or this trial, or all of these things that are keeping me from doing what's right, and I keep failing again and again. But Christ is there, and He's saying, "I know those things are. I, there's a lot of those things in your life right now. But there's more grace. There's more divine ability. In fact, the more the more trouble in our life increases, the more grace is there that we can grab a hold of from God." so that we can experience his abundant strength to overcome, to reign in life through Jesus Christ. Now, another thing we can see in these two prophets is that they're a type of Christ and his church. They're the, they're the example we want, he wants us to follow. Right? Now, Elijah, he's, he, we know that he's one of the ones who stands before the God of the whole earth, right? and on his right and on his left. Who's going to be on his right and left I don't know. We'll find out in heaven, but Moses and Elijah are going to be there, All right? And so Elijah is definitely a, a type of Christ who ministered to Israel on earth. And, but Elisha is a type of the church. He's a type of the power that, that God wants to flow through our lives. He wants to see operating within us, All right? Because we know Elisha, what was the story when his master was going up to heaven and he said, is there anything you want? Any, any parting gift? right? And Elisha says, can I have a double portion? And Elijah says, well, that's a hard thing you're asking for, but if you see me when I go up, then it's yours. You've got it. And, of course, he saw Elijah going into heaven, and, and Elisha said, well, I've, I guess I've got the double portion. And, you know, he walked out from that place in the power of his master, but not just that. He had double you know in fact when uh when he when he goes out you can count the different miracles that his master performed and there's about 7 if you get technical you can you can get 8 maybe but when you're looking at elisha it's double it's just like he walked in a greater measure it's like god poured the double upon him but you know that speaks to us what did christ say to his disciples john 14 and verse 12 Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, he shall do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. That's his promise to us as his church, that we will do greater things, even than we saw in the Gospels. And why is that? It's because Christ is now in heaven and he's given us his spirit. You know, it's almost like that that divine power socket to heaven that the Old Testament saints didn't have. And that was going to be one of the signs of the last day church. It will be one of the greatest outpourings of his spirit the world has ever seen, because that's the purpose. That's what God desires. And so it's the double portion. And so Elisha performed even more miracles than his his master Elijah. And, And they basically fall into three categories, his miracles there's he performed miracles of judgment on the wicked and we're going to look at just one of those this morning All right, so he he pronounced judgment but he also preserved the righteous and that's what that's what we need right, we, we it, judgment on the wicked's good but us righteous we need some preservation we need strength we need grace to endure All right and but then the last one he he performed restoration upon god's people and that's so needed in this day to restore. And so, you know, these miracles depict the purposes of God. We're called to judge. We're called to be judges. Sometimes it's through our words, but most of the time it's through our examples. Right? That we are a shining light and an example. And when the light shines through our lives, it illuminates the world. And, you know, sometimes there's sin and they don't get very ha- happy with us. Sometimes we don't even have to talk. It's just what we do or we don't do. And we're judging them because of our actions. We don't, we don't have to condemn them with our words. It's just our actions, and they don't like that. But also, we're called to preserve. Jesus called us, we're the salt of the earth. We're to preserve, to be an influence of preservation in the lives of those around us. And he's called us to restore. All right, that's his heart especially in the last days, that our lives are to to be an example that lead people back to the pathway of righteousness. I don't know if you go to the mall very much. I I don't. I actually try not to. But I I was there yesterday and I was just struck about how the mall is kind of a unique place. You can see kind of like every stratum of society and all the different niches of society of people who do different stuff and dress, you know, it affects how they dress and all, all these different things. You can see some crazy stuff at the mall, you know, how people dress and everything. But I'm just, I was struck at how different society has become even in the last decade, just about the changes that have taken place about, you know, how dark it's become, how few there are that are seeking the Lord anymore. Yet God has a plan of restoration He has a plan. Sometimes I I look at that and I'm like, Lord, how are you going to do it? Everyone's just doing whatever's right in their own sight and no one's hungry for God or his ways. But God is going to come and he's going to awaken their hearts. And he wants to use his people to awaken them. But he needs laborers. Laborers with a heart to restore. People who are willing to live in his presence, to live the message Right, to be set apart for Christ so that his power can flow through us, and we can preserve a generation for God. Now we're gonna see here as we read about Elisha in first in Kings seventeen, there was something that, that really set him apart for how God used him. Elijah or First Kings chapter seventeen and verse one and it says, Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead Said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be no dew or rain these years, but according to my word. And so we're not given much. Di- we, we don't really know much about Elijah. We don't really know what it was like when he was growing up, or where he exactly where he came from, or or so forth. But we just see him go right into ministry. It's like he's an arrow. We don't hear about him, but then he's shot right out to hit the target and he shot at King Ahab, But it says he's a Tishbite who lives among the inhabitants of Gilead. Many commentari- commentaries, commentaries, commentators uh, say that um, this is referring to a place called Tishbeth in upper Galilee. Um, so, but he dwelt in Gilead on the other side of Jordan. So, uh, that was where Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh dwelt. And so this would kind of fit with his calling to be a forerunner of Christ, that his origins right from his youth were in Galilee, but he was called to dwell among those whose hearts were separated from God, like those, those two-and-a-half tribes on the other side of Jordan separated from the other tribes. His name means Jehovah is my God or my strength. And so we, we see that vividly depicted in his ministry and how God used him. And both of these prophets, actually Elijah and Elisha, use this phrase, the Lord God before whom I stand. The Lord God before whom I stand. And this, this basically defines the essence of their ministry, of their power. Why they were so powerfully used by God is found in this phrase. It's as if they were always standing in the presence of God. They were living in his presence. And so that they could hear him and speak for him. And the words that they spoke were powerful. They were life giving. And that's his desire for us. And so God is calling us into a life of his presence, to, to be saturated with his presence. And that can affect those around us. So let's just consider for a moment this this first miracle that we see here in the opening verse of Elijah's ministry. Right, so he ministered in one of the darkest periods. I mean, when you think about this time in Israel under King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, I mean, it was, that was as dark as you could get almost for those two wicked people. It was a time of national backsliding. Maybe we can identify that with a little bit, I don't know. Um, but God led him to King Ahab and made a declaration There will be no dew or rain upon the earth for three years. That would take some nerve, some boldness to go and do that, right? And so he was a man of faith. He could declare that word of faith. But there's something we have to understand about that. I mean, that was a devastating uh, consequence, right? For Israel not to have rain, that means there's no crops. There's no, you know, water in the streams and so forth. Right? It would devastate that, the, the nation of Israel. And so for Elijah's first appearance, he had this miracle of the withholding of the rain. He gave a word of judgment and of faith that there would be no rain for three years. But there's two things I want to look at that in this word. The first thing is that Elijah was given a word from heaven to share to the, with the king. Right? And so he heard from God. And that's really what's most vital. In these days, and in this hour, what's most vital is that we have that ability to hear from God. That we can hear from Him. That we develop an ear to hear Him. know, sometimes we realize something needs to take place in our lives, and so we go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to hear from you. Nothing happens. How many of, that, of us have that's happened to? Right? I'll raise my hand to that. Lord, I need you to speak to me. And I, uh, crickets, you know, you don't hear much. But we can read the words of, of King David and see what God did in his life. In Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8, it says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears have you opened. My ears have you opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you haven't required. But then verse 8, I delight to do your will. And so what enabled David to become a man after God's own heart, right, to delight to do his will, it's when God opened up his ears. God gave David an ear that he could hear what God was saying. And that's really what the key is. Now, the Hebrew word in verse 8 for open, it actually means to dig, as in digging a well. Has anyone ever dug that kind of thing, that well I've dug ditches, and I've had to dig holes in the ground here in Florida, which is pretty hard. But I have to say, that probably doesn't compare to digging a well, especially in in Israel where it's a land of rocks and, you know, digging those out. And some of those wells, you didn't hit water till 40 feet, you know. So that was some hard work. When David's describing, Lord, you've dug out my ears. We're not talking about an overnight prayer meeting. Or a single experience. We're talking about a season where David sought God time after time, and then God opened up his ears. Of course, what happens though? The enemy loves nothing better than for us to go through the effort of digging out a hole because we're looking for water, and what does he do? He just fills it back in, and we play the game. I dig it out and the enemy fills it in with, you know, cares and worries and weaknesses and exploiting all these things in in our lives and so forth. Just as he sought to do in the time of Abraham. Abraham dug the wells. The Philistines filled them in. Isaac had to dig them back out. But unfortunately, that's life. (laughs) Where we have to keep at it. Where we have to keep seeking. Keep crying out to God. Lord, open my ear. Dig it out. Or sometimes, you know, when we're talking about the ear, sometimes we can't hear from God because there's too much going on. Too much activity. Too much noise that we can't hear what God's saying. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that God is always speaking to us. Problem is our ear. That we, we haven't tuned in. Kind of like those old-time radio dials. I'm dating myself if I can... You know, all of us are dating ourselves when we say, oh, I remember that old-time radio. You, know, you had to tune in the, the radio. You saw the needle move, and you heard all the, all the squawking and, you know, until you got to the right channel. Well, sometimes we are just on the plain wrong channel, and we need to tune in to hear his voice so that he can speak to us, so that he can open up our ears. But how can we develop that ear to hear him? Isaiah 50 and verse 4, you know, Isaiah prophesies about how Jesus related to his father. He wakened my ear morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as the learned. So every morning or our time of seeking God, we come to him and say, Lord, open up my ear today. Lord, dig out my ear fresh. The enemy's put some things in. He's been speaking some words to me, but Lord, I want to know the words of life. I'm not going to accept that, but I'm going to I want to hear what you have to say and you know he'll quicken stuff from his word, he'll quicken things to our hearts and he opens up our ear. And God desires to do that. But there's one more thing we can just see here in closing that we see in this first miracle of Elijah because we know he received a word of faith. He even had boldness to declare that word. He shared it with Ahab, but he didn't stop there, did he? Well, it's hard to tell in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we read James chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions, like weaknesses, like doubts, and you know, so forth. He was a man just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now Sometimes you just read that single verse in the Old Testament, and it's like, hey, he got a word from God, he declared it, and it didn't rain not so it says he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain he had to pray and you know it gives us the idea that he was just crying out that greek the greek phrase here is kind of funny how what how it's used here it's basically two forms of the word for pray literally it means he prayed with prayer right and that's it's like what so he would prayed with prayer of course prayed with prayer. But it's it's uh, it's called a double emphatic, where he, w- he wasn't just praying, he was praying, praying. If you ever, you know, someone says, yeah, he was doing something, but he was really doing it. Sometimes we can do something, but when we really need it, then we really do that. That's what, that's that was what Elijah was doing with prayer. He was really praying. He was praying with intensity. He was crying out to God as if his life depended on it right but his ministry his walk with god the nation of israel depended upon him praying that's a lesson for us sometimes god gives us responsibility he gives us a calling and it's it's one thing to get a word from god but to bring it to pass he wants us to be involved in prayer in crying out to him in coming to him day by day hour by hour sometimes, just crying out, Lord, do it. Lord, bring it to pass. You know, Pastor Bailey said this in his book, in one of his books. He said, hearing the will of God is not sufficient in our lives. We have to hear and pray to bring forth what God has said. Maybe God has spoken a word to us or you know, quickened something to our hearts and, oh, amen, God, do it. I'm ready for it. But, but, you know, just getting that word is not enough. Now, sometimes he speaks it and says, it's already done. Because of, and he's going to do it with the power of his, of his word and his faith. But other times, he speaks it and we're like, Lord, when is this going to take place? When's it going to happen? Well, are we going to pray, pray? Are we going to really pray? Because that's involved In bringing his will to pass. You know, prayer has to become that place of reliance, of safety for us, of refuge where we meet with God and we come to him and we cry out to him and we find the power in his presence. There's a lot of power found. You know, in fact, on the altar of incense in the tabernacle, there are four horns, a horn on each side. It speaks of the anointing and power. The other place the horns are found is on the altar. Speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right? And so we know there's power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the, the second place we see it is at the altar. There's power there that's only released through fervent prayer. And we can see an example of that in Matthew 26, where Jesus was in the garden with his disciples. In Matthew 26, verse 41, and he said, Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. It's you know, it's one thing to follow God, to read his word, to seek him, but sometimes the only thing that's going to keep us from temptation is where we pray, is where we cry out to him. Now I always remember that, that story that David Wilkerson shared about, you know, the young men that he was ministering to, they would struggle, they would have their difficulties, and sometimes they go back into their old life. But he said one thing he noticed. The ones that got the victory is when they went into the chapel and they prayed in tongues and they just spent time before the presence of God praying. He said, those ones, they got the victory. You see, it says we come to to the altar and we pray and we cry out to him. And so we have to look to these examples. There's a lot we can see, you know, as we study these. But, you know, there's some powerful lessons for our lives from these two men. I'm not saying that we're going to get up there, you know, with Moses and Elijah or anything like that. But the, God wants to speak to us through their lives. We see how God used them, and He continually stood in the presence of God. That's His calling for us. He's an example that God wants to speak to us. He wants to develop an ear of the learned that we're really good at hearing His voice. I want to get to that place. That's something I so respect, right? You, you know, you you can see great men of God, and it's like. Man, how did, it's like they hear from God. They just go into his presence and speak to him and you're hearing from him. And it's like, I want that. I want to be good at hearing from God. He wants us to be good at hearing from him too. More than we, we even want it. And he wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with us at the altar of prayer. So that we can follow in that pathway of these anointed ones who stand before the Lord of the whole earth. Because he's looking for Elijah's in this day and this hour, that he can use to preserve a generation for him. Father, we just thank you, thank you for your your word and your promises and your purpose to, uh, purposes for our lives, Lord. We just cry out to you, Lord, as we see how you moved in these these prophets, oh God, Lord. We desire you to move in our lives, Lord. Have your way, have your will in us, O oh God, Lord. Work within us, we pray. Lord, even bring us to that place where we can, Lord, just surrender to your word and have an ear to hear what you're saying and that, Lord, you would even just draw us into your presence. Lord, we long to come to the altar and to know the power of your spirit to be set free, to be delivered, to be kept from temptation and to overcome. Do that work in our lives, we ask and we thank you in Jesus' name.